Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Well, I'm delighted to be back today and have with me a man who loves to learn. That's how I'm going to introduce Michael Brainerd, who is the CEO and founder of Brainerd Strategy, which is a management consulting firm. Now, I said he loves to learn. He loves to learn everything. Listen to this. He holds his BA in psychology, his MS and PhD in industrial psychology, and he's a researcher. He told me earlier before the show, he said, you know, I just have a taste to learn. And so I wanted to have him on today because there's a lot of management consulting firms. I could even call mine a management consulting firm, although I don't. But Michael has a really different approach, and he's got such a deep background in psychology and in learning. And so if there's somebody to pick his brain and find out what we should be doing as leaders, it's Michael Brainerd. So, Michael, welcome to Doing It Right. Thank you for having me, Valerie. I'm delighted to be here with you today and hopefully share some insights. Well, I'm going to ask a whole lot of deep insight questions, and I know you're up to it. Um, well, first of all, tell us what your firm is about, what you do. Give us an idea of what those rigorous and unique aspects of your company and firm are about. Well, thank you for asking. Uh, Brainerd Strategy has been around since 2006, and we effectively do four things. We partner with mid-size and large corporations for all things leadership development, strategic facilitation, strategic planning, change management, and all the permutations of change partnerships with large corporations, and then finally team development and team alignment. So you could largely call that we consult with leadership and management to help affect change inside of an organization um, in a positive direction. So that's effectively what we do. That's a big, wide ocean. I'm going to try to narrow it down in reading and talking with you. You you have what you call uh, something called the bias trifecta. What in the heck is that? So one of the things we do every year is we set about to engage in some part of our field where we think we could do a deeper dive into the research and add some innovation. What we then did several years ago was we noticed that very smart, well-intended leaders, um, when making decisions, often make predictable types of decision errors or, or, or mistakes. And when you look at smart, well-intended senior people in their business and industry, think, how can that be? Well, one of the things that I thought about were how cognitive biases affect how we perceive our world and how we make decisions. So when we looked into that, this idea of unconscious bias had been well studied by the diversity and inclusion types of firms, but there are very few leadership and org behavior firms that sought to think about 
cognitive biases generally and how they affect decision making. So we dove right in and found that three particular biases impact the way we perceive our world and make decisions. Just in short, unconscious bias, retroactive inference, and then confirmation bias. And these biases work together to give us a bit of a distorted view of our world. So we could talk all day about this, but thought that would add great insight to executive and leadership development to help people understand how their brain works and how it may negatively impact how they're viewing the world and how they're making decisions in hopes that we can mitigate and work through some of those biases. So if I said to you, Michael, I'm not biased. I would say to you, that's an impossible statement to make. <laughs> Biases are a part of the human condition. They have nothing to do with the majority class. They have nothing to do with your gender. This, is, this word bias has been sort of taken in the media made a negative thing. Biases are a part of the human condition. They're rooted in the physiology, the physical makeup of our brains. Um, just a real quick example. Down in your amygdala, the base of your brain is where fight or flight exists. And that's where, out of your awareness, you're processing everything in your environment to make sure that your body is safe, out of your awareness. Well, that out of awareness bias leads you to be attracted and comfortable in certain situations and uncomfortable in other situations. In other words, that bias is a part of every human's wiring, so to speak, and therefore it's biologically rooted. Therefore, you cannot say you're not biased. The answer is, I'm biased, I want to become more self-aware of where my biases may exist and work to hinder my ability to be a good person and a leader. That's the exploration, not to deny these things exist. They simply exist. All right. So I'll own that and I'll push back a little bit and I'll say, all right, all this gender bias and all this uh, ethnicity bias, we're over that. I hope we're over that. So now, what might be a real bias that I have uh, that I might not be aware of? And in fact, perhaps it does color my decisions. Give me an example of, of some of those things. Well, I'll give, you, uh, I'll give you a different one. How's that? Yep. Um, Valerie, you have been doing what you've been doing for many, many years. So the bias I would coach you to be aware of is what I'll call expert bias. Um, Malcolm Gladwell talked about 10,000 hours. And once you have 10,000 hours of practice, like you do, Valerie, you could look at a situation and trust your gut or trust your intuition. Except when you can't. Except when you shouldn't. And there's uh, a great book written called um, Ordinary Survival. And it's how experts, because of their expertise and their over-reliance on this thing called intuition, they're not thorough. They're not careful. Careful. In some ways, they're complacent. And expert bias, Valerie, causes you maybe to say, well, I've seen this thing a thousand times. I don't really need to be investigative here. And boom, that's where we make mistakes at times. So expert bias would be a form of bias, Valerie, that folks like you, folks that are expert in their field, have to be aware of. And in these spiky moments and moments of great consequence, really challenge your expert bias and be more investigative. So investigative, easy for me to say. Anyway, <laughs> that's an example of how your biases still can trip you up. Well, that's a good example. So uh, as I am coaching leaders, um, if I saw as a coach 
or consultant or whatever, if I saw an expert leader who has been, let's say a CEO, who's been a CEO for a long time. Now you have had a lot of experience in a lot of companies and now you are one, right? So how would you, what would you say, what would I say to a leader to make sure that he or she is not going with what brung them kind of thing? To make that, you know, to be very sure. Now, wait a minute. I know you've seen this a million times. And have you run into any of those situations? I would say two things. Uh, The answer is I run into that situation every day, every week. Uh, I coach people who are experts, right? So let me offer two thoughts. One is, Spiky, there are moments in your leadership life that are of great consequence, or they may not be of great consequence today, but they have a long tail to them. I argue that in those, if you're a great leader, you're really quite good at identifying moments of great consequence and then taking the second step. The second step then is once I identify I'm in a spiky moment, let me go through a slightly more slow process. Your brain is a speed freak. It wants to go fast and organizations also want you to go fast. So let's slow down. Multi-criteria, multi-view and multi-method. Valerie, if you can say, I'm going to challenge myself to look at this decision or this judgment or this perception through multiple lenses, or I'm going to allow other folks to challenge my point of view, or I'm going to try to look for multiple pieces of data instead of just binary data. These would be disciplined thinking techniques that could help you to mitigate some of these expert biases. Hmm. That makes perfect sense. And I'm thinking about these changing times that we are in, where, my goodness, What are you seeing now in what will be the new normal and what is happening and how leaders might need to lead differently? Can you tie the dots together in that? Well, I can try. So putting politics aside, leadership has been lacking or poor during this pandemic. And again, you can put politics aside and still say that. Why? We have mixed or conflicting messages from very senior political leaders that are quite mixed or different than very senior science leaders. There's there's not an alignment. A very, very prominent Republican communication strategist, Ari Fleischer talked about, it's the problem here is there's not an alignment in messaging. In other words, I could put this into the form of bias. One form of expert bias or one form of expertise is to present data one way where somebody else who has a different set of outcomes they're looking for would present data in a different way. So think about confirmation bias, Valerie, in this case. What is confirmation bias? Confirmation bias means I have a perspective or a judgment or a first impression, let's say that. Now what your frontal cortex does out of your awareness, Valerie, is it goes and looks for information in your environment that you're correct, that your worldview is right, that your esteem is intact. It's a disciplined thinker who wants to go and look for information that they may not be correct, actively seeking information to challenge your perception or your belief. So here we're seeing confirmation bias being added, being amplified, rather than self-criticism. So if you had an executive leader at any company, 
and you saw this kind of confirmation bias, you would call it out instantly, Valerie. As a coach, you would say, hey, no, let's challenge that belief and go get more objective data. So we're lacking the ability to be objective and to be data or fact-driven in many cases. And there's examples every day in the, in the news about this. So I won't keep talking that point, but again, if you put politics aside and you would just say this lack of consistent set of outcomes and this lack of focus on objectivity and decision-making is actively causing the loss of life at this point. Mm. Well, let's take it to the employee level. So I work in an organization, gratefully, I still work in an organization, our listeners, and what's important to me as an employee is I show up every day and I want to give value. I want to make a difference and I want to be recognized for making a difference. What would you say would be a helpful tip for any leader in any um, in any level of leadership, whether you are an employee who is seeking to go further in your career or not, maybe you're an employee who loves what you do and you are going to just be the best that you can be, but you don't want to get into all the management stuff. Or maybe you are an emerging leader that is really on the fast track. I don't care what level you're at. You're a person showing up every day, wanting to do your best. What tips can you give us to work within this environment in which we're in now that will behoove us in getting the recognition and knowing we are doing our best and it's being recognized? And how can we help our leaders who are going to lead us through whatever the trials and tribulations are that are forthcoming, and they're always forthcoming. We've always got issues. So talk to employees. Well, in my, my terms, hum, humans are social beings, right? And so that's why leadership is so important. When stress and anxiety go up, as this pandemic has created, Valerie, People look to their peers, they look to family members, and they look to leaders, right? You work in an organization, you have some expectation that leaders will lead. Okay, so this is a fundamental part of the human condition. Now, what should an employee and a leader think about? Well, the first thing I would suggest is we have to realign around our why, so you, Valerie, in your example, you come to work every day trying to do your best, wanting to be recognized for doing your best. Well, let's think about that for a moment. Why is that important to you? Why does your work matter to you? Because you, for example, Valerie, and, and just as an example, perhaps are, are not a person who will become the CEO. You want to work so that you have a well-balanced life and make an income and you can raise your children, but you don't want to work past five or on Sundays very fair. Every employee comes to the workplace with a different why. Why do I do this? Why do I do this at this organization? And why does it matter? Well, I dare say the challenge of leadership at a very fundamental level during this pandemic is, what is your why as a leader? And what is your organization's why? What do we exist to? Why are we doing what we're doing today? And then trying to get alignment between the organization's why or purpose and employees why or purpose. So when we can communicate in a two-way direction, we're not pushing out email, we're not doing it all hands, but the second thing I would say is constant two-way communication. 
That doesn't mean the CEO all day, every day. That means the CEO working with his or her leaders to communicate consistently, much more frequently than in normal times, and getting a two-way dialogue going around what particular stress, what barrier, what resources needed, why are resources being constrained right now. I like the idea of a why coming from the organization and leadership's perspective, and I like seeking to understand the why, understand the why of all of my employees. And that doesn't mean at the individual level for hundreds of thousands of employees in the case of IBM or, or Qualcomm, but this means figuring out why people want to do what they want to do and helping connect our why to your why. <laughs> this is principle number one. Principle you know, at times during stress, communication, um, voids will be filled with rumors. We need to constantly engage employees in two-way dialogue almost two, three, four times a week. This is a critical task that leaders often say, well, we've already said it, let's just move on. This is not appropriate. We have to constantly be reassessing. And, and then the third thing I would say, Valerie, is clarity of goals. Clarity, right now, very, Valerie, you show up every day wanting to do a good job, wanting to be recognized for doing a good job, but the world has changed. So how do we as organizational leaders get alignment around what are the critical tasks that we all can be successful around. So I could talk all day about this, but aligning our why with others' why creates identity and it creates engagement. Secondly, constant communication, much more frequent than we're used to doing. And third, let's make sure that we're not living in yesterday's world, yesterday's world being January, right, where we set goals. No, let's reestablish what the success criteria is for you, Valerie, as we move into the new world. There's lots more to talk about, but these are fundamental, I think. Oh, those are major fundamental. And I know at least the last statistic, you're the researcher, so tell me if this is right or wrong now, but the last statistic I read about constant communication was that in times of change, uh, you can't over-communicate, and where, this is the stat I read, where normally someone should give information that's important at least three times, before I, I, the employee, really get it. You know, I hear it, but I don't internalize it. And in times of change, I read seven times. What are your thoughts? That's, um, you know, that's seven, who knows? It's probably more. (laughs) And then Valerie, and then Valerie, here's the thing that you don't read in the literature that I think is critical that we help leaders understand is that communication cannot be a push only. It has to be a pull. Remember, mm. communicating is sending a message and actively receiving a message. So of those seven interactions you mentioned, Valerie, could two of them be questions? Could we put a group, a team in a room and ask them three or four questions? Guess what? We're communicating with them but we're not pushing. So let's be reminded as leaders that we push and we pull and both are communicating. You know, I love that because it leads to what one of your teachable points of view is. You said to me, you know, to be a great leader, you have to choose between being right or being a great leader and you can't be both. Tell us what you mean about that. Well, I develop these cliches because they're short and easy for people to remember. Think about it. If you're right on a team, if you're trying to be right, if you are the one with the best answer frequently, by definition, the people whom you lead aren't being right or they're contributing to your righteousness. 
this is why I say you can choose. You can be a great leader or you can choose to be right. Let me, let me play it the other way. I facilitate a team of great, motivated people. I contribute with them, but they're right. Sally is right. Raphael is right. These three people working on a problem is right. My job was to lead those people to be right, not for me to show up in front of them with the right answer. This is mm. um, this is a construct that I, I don't really get. You know, we'll, we'll, where the leader is somewhat insecure and has to be the one getting the trophy. No, the leader is the one that gives out the trophy. Mm. So this idea we could talk all day about this, but the idea that the leader facilitates the right or the better outcomes for the team and the org, that's the leader's job. Often, the leader does not need to show up with the best answer and be right. Sometimes they do. So we don't want to be absolute. But the reality is, a mantra is, am I a leader who's getting in the way of my people? Or am I a leader who's facilitating their development and their ability to be right? That's a great explanation, Michael, and it leads to another point you made earlier with me about another uh, teachable point of you view. You have a great memory of that. <laughs> well, you talked about humility, and I didn't quite understand it until you explained it, so I want you to do so now. You said there's about, you have to balance the paradox between humility and confidence as a leader. You have to balance the paradox between humility and confidence. Tell us what you mean about that. Well, leaders have to lead. And leadership takes a great deal of courage and confidence. As we develop as young leaders, our confidence is reinforced through promotion, through advancement, through opportunities that others might not get because, in fact, we're a good leader. At some point around mid-career, we could become deluded and believe that we are confident and competent to a greater extent than other people. My own journey in life is a constant journey between holding two truths. I am confident. I can get through this. I have figured this out before. At the same time, I can't do it alone. I am weak and vulnerable, and I have to be humble that I can do nothing without other people of any consequence. And this idea that I am not aware of all the answers. Yes, I should trust my experience, but my experience is just that. It's only my experience. So do I have the confidence to leverage that, and do I have the humility to accept that I am fallible and I'm vulnerable and I will make mistakes in the future. And this this paradox in holding two truths and balancing them, given the situation, is a never-ending journey. It's like making 18 birdies in golf. It's not, not going to happen. The reality is we can never get that balance right. What my journey has taught me is the constant awareness and battle of humility and my smallness and my vulnerability as well as my ability to thrive and push through. This is the this is the paradox I talk about. Now, now in business, to show up as humble and vulnerable, as we've heard from Brene Brown, sometimes can be looked down upon. Brene Brown has done a wonderful job educating us in organizations about the power of vulnerability and the mental discipline it takes to be vulnerable and humble. Uh, Admiral Stockdale in Good to Great 20 some odd years ago talked about the Stockdale paradox and, and that was very, very similar about optimism and pessimism and holding those two truths 
real. So I've taken my thinking from a number of places, but my own journey constantly working toward humility and constantly working toward the, the, the confidence to show up. Um, this is this is what I mean by balancing the paradox. You aren't balancing one at a time. You're constantly ba- battling two opposing realities and holding them in your head awareness and then working working to find the right blend for a given situation. That's very wonderful the way you explained it, Michael. And you kept going to your journey, so I'd like to go to your journey. One of the other reasons I ask you to be on the show is because you are such a learned man and you are doing such great work in your company, uh, developing leaders to be all that they can be. But your path was not an easy path. And part of what I think is so important on this show is to bring hope, to have guests like you who are inspiring, because you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth, nor were I, nor was I. And so we have a few scars, don't we? What would That's you right. be willing to share about your journey? Well, uh, everyone has a journey, right? So some people have tougher and easier and and when I talk about bias, for example, I'm aware that I'm a white male and out of my awareness, I'm sure I've gotten advantages that other people haven't had. So nobody's journey is any more or less difficult. It's all relative. My own path, though, was unique in that um, my father was an alcoholic up until the age of 11, 11-ish uh, for me. And that created some challenge in our family dynamic from a socioeconomic status, perhaps from a violence perspective at times. And so my brother and sister and I, the way we were raised was maybe lower middle income or even lower than that. And we rebelled in our teen years by by choosing athletics and kind of getting out of the house, so to speak, and, and committing to athletics. And and that was a really good coping strategy for, for me. Um, I hadn't yet found the academic part of my body until high school where my father and, and mother were fortunate enough to recover from my father anyway from alcoholism and and is still on a journey he'll tell you today and he's a wonderful man um they were they did the greatest thing for me valerie they sent me to a, a private high school that by all accounts i should have never uh, been going to and that high school really changed my trajectory and pointed me uh both athletically and then academically it really showed me Uh, Very frankly, Valerie, I didn't really know how to open books until high school, right, so to speak. So my journey was recovering from the socioeconomic, um, some of the questions I had about being a man and and working through some of my more maybe some issues of violence or, or physicality at times. And so athletics helped me a great deal in that way. And then after um High school, I was able to be a college athlete that was a wrestler. My brother was a baseball player who went on to play professional baseball. And I went on to be a pretty low-level professional boxer. And, and Valerie, very frankly, that was probably still working out some things from my childhood more than a strategic uh, decision. Uh, fortunately, though, that gave me a little bit of financial wherewithal to, uh, get, to get to graduate school and find this thing called, uh, which is still my passion in life, is how do I help people in the workplace, right? I watched my mother and father from blue collar, pretty difficult situations. My mother working as an admin most of our lives, being treated rather poorly by, by executives and, and senior people. Again, this is the 70s. So now to come in with my talents and be able to go into organizations and affect people's experience at work, right? Think about how many hours 
human beings in our society spend thinking about work or at work. And then my passion became, if I can affect change in leaders, and I can use my weaknesses as well as my gifts to identify in our society with leaders and affect change there, then I'm affecting uh, 40x, right? So for every executive I can affect some level of change in, we can assume that there's 40 to 400x change because other people's lives will be better, more productive, and more engaged by virtue of this. So my background uh, may be a little bit interesting relative to where I landed, but I've landed in a spot where my passion is to really help the workplace become more humane, more engaged, more productive. And that's what we're going for. Mm, Well, that's coming from the heart. And, you know, uh, none of us get through life by ourselves. Did you have any particular pivot point or person that sort of really clicked, helped you click into what you're now doing? Well, there were a lot of people, actually, Valerie, that took an interest in me through coaching and through academics. Um, in high school, I had two particular coaches that really changed my life and helped me develop discipline and personal accountability and, and really, frankly, work ethic. And, and that work ethic, Valerie, is sort of my second uh, secret in life, right? If the first is balancing humility and confidence, um, being able to show up every day and being persistent and, and just work hard and work smart is something that I've, I've constantly struggled with and it, it helps me. Um, but, but those coaches in high school helped me. And then, and then I had a friend in my life who was an industrial psychologist. And while I was still competing as a boxer, um, he showed me what this field was. I had no idea what this field was. I had no I, I thought you either became a doctor or a lawyer or or a, a union electrician. I didn't I didn't know anything, and so he really changed my life by helping to show me that I had some ability in this particular field. Um, his name was Matt Jones. Um, he still works on the East Coast at Aon, and he was really pivotal to my career. There was a guy named Dr. Tom Scott at the University of Delaware who was my dean in psychology. Who took an interest in me and gave me opportunities in a neurobiology lab that I should have never had, which gave me access to wonderfully smart people doing great research. And so I mentioned these names, not to exclude other names. I had early bosses, I have had friends and colleagues, but these people were pivotal in changing my direction. Mm-hmm. Dr. Scott talked to me about the value of, frankly, the scientific method and, and doing real research. And I didn't know what that was, right? So, mm-hmm. so these people have changed my life in a number of ways. Um, my mother and father have changed my life. Probably haven't expressed that enough. My, my pop-up, my grandfather. So there's a number of people who have taught me different things that ha- hopefully have created this tapestry of who I am. And frankly, I'm still a working product by far. I have a lot of flaws, but these are people that helped me get to the place that I'm at today. Well, it goes back to the point that we never know who we are going to influence. There have been times looking back in my life when I might run into someone that I hadn't seen in a long time, or maybe I really hadn't even met, but they heard me speak and would come up and say, you know, when you said blah, 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 it really meant blah, 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 blah. Those, so, so it just, one more thing I would add to all the things you've said about being a good leader, and that is pay attention to what you say. And when you, oh. right? And when you say wisdom that comes from your heart, 
it's usually very right. And that's what resonates with people. So I admire the work that you're doing. And I want to ask you a couple of interesting questions to hear what you would say, Mr. Researcher. Um, Number one, are there any statistics right now that might be interesting for our listeners to know about the workplace? Anything at all about statistics or um, latest in trends? I'll, I'll go a different direction. The The business and productivity statistics are all over the place. Let's talk about this. The pandemic has spread the workforce. We've put workers into the home and we're working remotely and virtually. Okay. We know that that creates a feeling of social isolation. I'm now isolated physically from my colleagues, from my boss, from my friends in the workplace. Mm-hmm. This social isolation leads to an increase in negative symptoms around depression, PTSD, and other sources of stress and anxiety. So I'll give a statistic. In, during the SARS pandemic in Toronto, Canada, people studied the effects of social isolation due to the pandemic, and they saw a 32% increase in depressive symptoms for folks who were not depressed. So here's a statistic that informs what we may be doing today as organizational leaders and we may be able to do differently. Let's assume that that research is reasonable. Well, then about a third of my workforce are experiencing some form of loneliness or pain from the social isolation created by not coming into the office. As an organizational leader, how can I think about that? How can I design that in? How can I coach my leaders around that? How can I create a different engagement strategy? Now, Valerie, let's go into your your actual knowledge of your workplace, and we sort of know where we have challenges, where we have employees who may be in tougher situations than others. So from an organizational leadership perspective, let's pretend or let's postulate that about a third of our workforce are in pain and struggling. As a leader, I can ignore that or not be aware of that or disagree with that, or I can embrace that and lead differently. I dare say if we lead differently, we'd be in a better spot as organizational leaders and contributing greater to organizational health. You know, that <laughs> so interesting you say and lead differently and um, and embrace the fact that people are in pain, which leads me to thinking how in professionalism in the workplace, quote unquote, in the past we've been taught, don't cry. Don't let anybody see you sweat. Be careful that you are not too vulnerable. And I'm seeing such a different leader today in a very good way. All the leaders that I'm coaching or uh, or know are paying a lot of attention to people and asking first before they ever get to business at hand on our scope our, our Zoom calls, how are you and the family doing? What's going on with you personally? And so the caring aspect is coming out big time and I I think that will I think that will continue and uh, we'll have better workplaces because of it. Michael, a couple of questions I have for you. What makes you nervous? Well, I'm constantly nervous, anxious, concerned about what I'm not seeing and what I'm not hearing. That's the thing that I'm most concerned about. I'm pretty confident in what I'm seeing, hearing, and interpreting. Valerie, what makes me nervous as a leader is what I'm not seeing and what I'm not hearing. 
So I want to be investigative, and that makes me more nervous than anything in the workplace. Um, that as a leader, my own company and my own journey, that's what makes me most nervous. Secondly, where I have no control or influence, that makes me nervous. Many people in our society right now, Valerie, you included, I dare say, you and I are not in control and we can't influence what our federal and state governments are doing around this pandemic. I'm not saying I would do it any better than anyone else, but that makes me nervous. It makes me nervous to not have a say in, other than an election, not have a say in how our society is being treated during this pandemic. Those are the two things that I think about when you ask that question. Boy, uh, well, I'll just I'll just add that they're mine too, and probably more. We could talk <laughs> about that for a long time. Michael, if you could learn the answer to one question, one question about your future, what would that question be? The question will be is, can I get out of my own way and give more? I can't get out of my own way and be giving. I try to think I am, but I'm not. I'm a bit of an altruistic capitalist. I have to earn a living. I have to raise a daughter who's going to go to college and have a wonderful life. And I have accountabilities that bother me. I would like to um, be able to give more broadly and to be able to share insights with people because I, uh, with, with a lot of humility, uh, the insights that our firm is able to bring and we've been able to develop through our research and practice have been very helpful. And we're sort of a small pea shooter, Valerie. We're a little firm <laughs> in Southern California who likes to think we do great work. And I and my firm, I would like to give more. I would like to spread our messages wider. And, and I'd like to, frankly, just get out of my own way, Valerie. Sometimes I'm in my own way. So that's the answer to your question. <laughs> that's a great answer and a great way to end by saying uh, all of the things I wanted to hear from you today and the reason I wanted you to be on today. You have totally fulfilled and given us some some great things to think about, some new ways to think about. And what I love most of all is what you just said, which is you're um, a humble person who's always seeking and looking around and wondering what you don't know. What you don't know that you don't know is what you got to find out, right? That's exactly right. Michael, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I wish you all the best in your uh, future with the company. There's no doubt that it'll roll back bigger than ever. And uh, for our listeners, listeners, if you have questions about more uh, information of Brainerd Strategy, you can look at what's on the bottom of the screen now and know how to reach Michael. And for me, if you want to know more about the kinds of things that I do in my organization, which are different, because my niche has always been the soft skills, always been those skills that companies used to say, or people used to say, oh, Valerie, companies won't ever pay for soft skills. And that used to just woof, really get under my dander. And now we know that empathy and soft skills and communication and the things that are around that are more important than ever before. So you know how to reach me at my website, which is also shown below. So thanks for listening in. I hope that you will please Make sure that the podcast continues by subscribing, hitting that red button, 
and sharing, hitting that other button, and asking others to do so, because that's what keeps us going. And until next time, you stay real, grow and learn and take to heart many of the things that were discussed today as an employee, as a human being, and as a leader. Until next time, stay authentic. And now, I always leave with a Valerieism. Well, this is mine today. You know, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Stay the course. That comes from, as all my Valerieisms, it comes from my own experience and those from whom I'm uh, working and leading and, and learning from. And the point is that too often, I have people come to coach or to write a workshop around, and they'll come up to me later and say, you know, um, just tell me how to do that. Well, I want to do some of the things you do. Well, how long did it take you to get to where you are? And when I'm honest and real on that last question, here's what I say. How long did it take me to make any progress? Can you work without a penny for 10 years? <laughs> and of course, that shuts most people down. <laughs> but here's the reality. Nothing is easy. Nothing. Even if you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth, it's still up to you. It's still you that are doing the things that you want to do. But, and, when you have a dream and when you know that there's something in life that you were born to do and leave as a legacy, then don't give up unless the door is slammed in your face and then move into another direction. So just remember, hard work is what it's about, and I think that's what our guests would all say. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.